The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. So a lot of the book of Acts is kind of like an adventure story. You remember books you read as a kid or maybe books you read as a grown-up about people going out on ships and traveling from this place to that place and doing this and that thing. A lot of the book of Acts kind of reads that way, and it's maybe not as dramatic as some of the adventure tales we may have read when we were kids, but some of it is. I mean, there's shipwrecks and there's conflict and there's excitement and intrigue and all that kind of stuff. So we need to just pause right here for a second and get ourselves up to date on the many adventures of the Apostle Paul, who is the main character that Luke is chronicling from Acts, more or less Acts chapters 13, going to the end of the book. Paul is the central figure that Luke focuses on. In Acts chapters 13 and 14, Paul has his first missionary journey with his partner Barnabas. They go around preaching and teaching to all these different churches. They come back a relatively short trip. At the end of Acts 15, remember Paul and Barnabas split up and... Paul takes along Silas. He then later picks up Timothy along the way and then also picks up Luke, the physician. And on that second journey, Paul travels through what's called Macedonia, uh, where he meets, well, brings people to meet the Lord and comes to know some who, uh, who love the Lord along the way in places like Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea. He ends up in Athens and then eventually Corinth in Acts chapter 18 on that second journey. Now his third journey is where he travels through a lot of the same places where he'd been before and primarily ends up in the city of Ephesus. We looked at some of this last time, Acts chapter 19. Paul's in Ephesus preaching and teaching there. He's also doing some important work of writing. We see Paul write the the letter to the Corinthians, both letters to the Corinthians. Uh, are in this time period where Paul's at Ephesus and traveling elsewhere. He leaves Ephesus, and he actually eventually is going to make it to Corinth. He addresses that in 2 Corinthians while he's en route to be with the Corinthians there. And he ends up in the city of Corinth, and that's where he writes the book of Romans on this third journey before he's come back home to Antioch, or in this case, where he's going to go back to Jerusalem. And at the end of of Romans uh, chapter 16, we learn that he was in the home of Crispus, who presumably is the same Crispus who was converted in Corinth. And so Paul seems to be writing from uh, from Corinth. And he explains what he's doing at this point and really sets the stage for the rest of the story of the book of Acts and the rest of the story of the life of the Apostle Paul that we have recorded for us. Romans 15, beginning in verse 22, says this, For this reason I've been prevented from coming to you. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you, when I first enjoyed your company for a while. Just recap of this. Paul's saying, hey, Roman Christians, I'd really like to know you guys. A lot of you I do know from other places, but I've never actually been there. I've never been able to preach and teach in Rome. And I'm looking forward to getting there eventually. Paul will get there by the end of the book of Acts though maybe not in the way we would have expected or we would have hoped. Anyway, he says at this point what he's up to in verse 25. But now, before I can get to Rome and then eventually go on to Spain and preach to more and more people, verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. 
This is a reference to what Paul had written about in the Corinthian letters of how he had gone through churches in Macedonia. That's Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and Achaia. That's any saints that were there in Athens, certainly brethren who were in Corinth, where Paul presumably is when he writes this letter. They've got together a gift for the saints in Jerusalem, for their brethren in Christ in Jerusalem. Verse 27, he says, For they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. That is, these churches in Macedonia and Achaia are indebted to their brethren in Jerusalem. For if the nations, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to do them a service also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness and blessing of Christ. So Paul says to the Romans, Hey, I haven't gotten there yet, but I want to. But before I can go to Rome, the city of all cities, I mean, the, the, the center of the world and of all human existence, at least in a lot of people's viewpoint in that culture at that time, I want to get there so I can preach the gospel there. There's so many people all throughout the world that come through Rome. I want to preach and teach there. But before I do, I got something I got to do that's really, really important. What could be more important than preaching the gospel, Paul? What are you talking about, man? Like, how could you skip Rome and go back to Jerusalem? The apostles are there, or at least some of them certainly, presumably, would be there. James, the Lord's brother, is there. That's where the kingdom started. Things have moved on. Jesus said the gospel was going to go out from Jerusalem. Why do you need to go back? Well, Paul explains it in what we just read here in verses 26 and 27. Well, first of all, he explains it in verse 25. The saints in Jerusalem were in trouble. They were in need. We're not really clear on what this was. Was there some sort of wide economic problem in the city of Jerusalem that all people were facing? Maybe. Was it the persecution that the saints, the followers of Jesus in particular, were facing in Jerusalem from the Jewish people who rejected Jesus as Messiah? That seems pretty likely. Whatever the reason was, the brothers and sisters in Christ were in trouble. The saints needed help. And Paul says, you know what? All these Gentile churches, they've profited from the spiritual blessings of their brethren who are Jews. Of course, that's because the Jews were the ones who brought the Messiah into the world, frankly, that God used to do that. They were the ones who preserved all the teachings of scriptures and so forth throughout the centuries. More recently, I mean, Paul himself, Barnabas, other people like this, they were Jews. And they were sent out or encouraged to go out Uh, one way, shape, or form, if you trace it all the way back, from Jerusalem. So Paul's saying, listen, the only reason these churches are what they are, the only reason they have the strength they have the strength, is because of what the brethren in Jerusalem did to get this thing going by the power of the Spirit under Jesus' rule. So if people in Corinth and Philippi and everywhere else have profited from those spiritual things, then those Gentile brethren in these other places ought to use their material wealth to help the poor saints in Jerusalem. You can check back in with passages we've already looked at in our study so far in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 and other places where Paul kind of unpacks this a little bit. Maybe in a little bit different way, but same idea. All right, so Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. You can look in the book of Acts and actually see this going on. Luke doesn't make a big deal of exactly what's going on, what's happening, but we know because of Paul's writing what the deal is. For instance, in Acts chapter 20, it says, After the uproar, that is an uproar in uh, Ephesus, had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had encouraged them and taken his leave, he went on to Macedonia. Those are the brethren who he was picking up along the way. There's actually a list of them in chapter 20 of people who Paul was traveling with who all were uh, carrying along these gifts from the saints. So Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 21 is Paul and his companions taking this financial aid 
to the Christians in Jerusalem. But along the way, there was something pretty difficult and, frankly, pretty frightening for a lot of the brethren that they learned about along the way. Notice in Acts chapter 20, and specifically verse 22, Paul says, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that chains and afflictions await me. It wasn't just Paul who had this insight and revelation from the Lord. A prophet named Agabus in Acts 21, starting around verse 12, takes a pretty dramatic approach to unveiling. He takes Paul's belt and then he binds his own feet and hands, Agabus that is. And then he says in Acts 21 and verse 11, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. This was not going to go well. The people are weeping. People are begging Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. But Paul was really committed to this mission, this financial aid mission that he was on. Uh, They eventually do reach Jerusalem, and they come, and they're warmly received by the brethren. Apparently, there was gratitude and an appreciation for this and excitement because it is a pretty cool and exciting thing that these brethren in Jerusalem are receiving benefit from people they've never met before, people who don't know them. Frankly, a lot of people who may have grown up with some pretty... uh, negative, prejudicial, racial attitudes toward them, and the Jews toward them in return. Gentiles helping Jews because Jews had helped Gentiles. This was a radical, radical thing. And that's actually why Paul was so committed to this mission. I mean, we look at it like, Paul, why was it such a big deal for you to take some money from these Gentile churches and take it to Jerusalem? I mean, surely the brethren in Jerusalem, you know, I mean, the worst case is they die of starvation, which, by the way, is horrible. But for a Christian, for someone who has the hope of the resurrection, the worst case is kind of the best case because you'll be with the Lord and you'll be raised up to a resurrection of new life. So, I mean, I don't know. Is it worth it, Paul? There's all kinds of people in Rome and Spain and beyond that you need to be preaching to and you've got your mission to all the nations to preach the gospel. Is it that big of a deal for you to take this gift from the Gentile churches back to the Jews in Jerusalem who were Christians? Here's why this is such a big deal. And actually, the book of Romans helps us understand what's going on in Paul's head and heart. And it helps us understand a little bit of what allows, um, well, how God has designed the gospel to get out into the world. Here's what would happen. Let's pretend that the Jew-Gentile relations continued as they have been thus far in the story. It's been a little bit of an undercurrent, but we've noted in passages like Acts 15 and the book of Galatians Jews and Gentiles didn't always get along very well. There was at least discomfort, distrust. Uh, And some of that was in the broader culture. Well, a lot of it was in the broader culture. But some of it had even seeped into the church. And and it was a pervasive challenge. The book of Romans addresses this pretty explicitly in passages like Romans chapter 14 and 15, where Paul talks about how some Christians were demanding that Uh, Their non-Jewish brethren adopted Jewish practices. And then the non-Jewish brethren would be tempted to look down on their Jewish brethren because the Jewish brethren were so ignorant and they didn't understand how the gospel really worked. Paul saw something developing that he was really concerned about. Division. Animosity. That one day maybe people would say, you know what, this is too much work, too much trouble. We're not even really family anyways. I mean, yeah, we believe in Jesus as Lord, but why don't y'all just set up a Jewish strain of this faith and we'll set up 
a strain of the faith, a, a, a thread, a, maybe we could say in modern terms, a denomination for the nations. And we'll just kind of split this thing up and have a sort of peaceful coexistence where we're not really together, but we're not really against each other. Paul said, uh-uh, it's not going to work. We're not going to do that. Actually, this passage in Romans 15 that we started with, where Paul explains this portion of the history of the New Testament and what's going on in the book of Acts, is the direct follow-up to what Paul said about the necessity of God's people working together. Notice in Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 7, he says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us for the glory of God. For I say that Christ became a servant to the circumcision, on behalf of the truth of God, to confirm the promises given to the fathers. In other words, Jesus came and did all this stuff for the Jews to confirm the scriptures and for the Gentiles or the nations to glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And then he proceeds to quote scriptures that talk about how not just Jews, but all the nations would come into the kingdom and find their hope in him. In verse 13, Paul continues, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And concerning you, my brothers and sisters, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. But I've written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace of God, of grace that was given to me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the nations may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. See, what Paul saw was, guys, if we split this thing up, if we don't learn to come together in our mutual faith in the gospel of Christ, then it's all a wash. What were we even doing? And this gift that's being orchestrated by Paul through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, mentioned here in Romans 15, and then uh, playing out in Acts chapters 20 and 21, was part of Paul's mission to show the Jews and the Gentiles that we are not different, and we can't be two separate families of Jesus Christ. There is one family of God in Jesus Christ. And all the teachings of the book of Romans, really when you start in chapter 1 and proceed to the end of the book, it's all about this. Sometimes people read the book of Romans and they see a collection of teachings about how to be personally saved. And there is a lot, by the way. There's a lot about, hey, we're all sinners and we're all justified by faith. And justification comes by faith. And when you're baptized into Christ, you're buried with him and you're raised up to live a new life with him. And you have hope and you have confidence and there's no condemnation. There's all that stuff that's about my personal righteousness, justification in Christ. But really what the book of Romans is about is it's the story of how God has been faithful to his promises all throughout the centuries. And the ultimate promise being that through the seed of Abraham, God would bring blessing to all the nations. And that Jesus Christ, Paul says, the good news is that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all those promises that God has made. And so now, be faithful to God, even as he's been faithful to you. And look across the room, and don't look and see a Gentile from Corinth, but look across the room and see my brother in the promises of God, my brother in the covenant, my brother who is blessed along with me and who blesses me, my brother in Jesus Christ. When you look across the room, don't see that sort of ignorant, backward Jewish woman. But see, that's my sister. That's my sister who's in Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter that we have different ethnic backgrounds and grew up different ways of being and living and thinking. No, no. We're all one in Jesus Christ. 
That's what all those promises were. And God didn't backtrack on his promises by welcoming the nations. That was always what God was working for. And if God worked throughout the centuries for that, if God worked so hard to send Jesus to bring all people together in his faith, in his truth, in what he brought about, in the gospel that Paul said at the beginning of the book of Romans, I'm not ashamed for it is good news to the Jew first, yes, and also to the Greek. And I don't care where the person's from, I wanna preach that good news and I wanna do whatever it takes to make that good news a reality. That's why Paul was so eager to take the gift to Jerusalem, to risk imprisonment, which by the way, was going to happen. We'll talk about that more next time. Paul didn't care because I've gotta make all of you guys realize, Paul thought, that this is the whole program. There's nothing else, there's no other plan B. God is working to bring all the nations together in one tent, in the tent ruled by the descendant of David, Jesus Christ the King. And so Paul concludes the book of Romans with these words. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that's been kept for long ages past, the mystery that all nations would come together in Jesus Christ as all people are saved from sin in Christ. But now it's been disclosed. And it was through the scriptures of the prophets in accordance with the commandment of the eternal God. It has been made known to all the nations leading to the obedience of faith. And that's what Paul's trying to do. Bring more people to obey. Bring more people to embrace the gospel so that he can continue his work of preaching the gospel. Yes to Rome. Yes to Spain. To more and more and more people so that all the nations will know. And so that verse 27 will come true. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. You know, the reason why books like the book of Romans and all the writings in the New Testament are so important is so that we know the truth of the gospel. The reason why we treat each other well, no matter where we're coming from, which is what a lot of those teachings in the writings of the New Testament call us to do, to love one another, to work together, to bear with one another, to be paid, all that stuff. You know why it's so important? Is because we're trying to build a community that's in, in accordance with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the reason why holding to that truth and building that community is so important is not just so we go, oh, look, we're one big happy family. No, look, that's great. But that family is working together with God on a mission to make God's name known to all the nations, to bring blessing to all the nations, to preach the gospel to every creature on earth. That's what we're here to do so that in the end we can say truly to the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever and ever. Amen. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.